of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe and in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me breathing out in violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate it. It's Brett Wilson, for those of you who don't know him. Uh, Brett and Samantha are getting ready. When's your baby due? November 22nd. No, and you hardly are showing at all. <laughs> great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I might need that. Well, yeah, uh, I, oh, by the way, I learned that while, while I'm waiting for my security blanket here, uh, no, I learned a, I learned a valuable lesson um, a number of years ago, and that is never ask a woman when her due date is unless you're absolutely sure she's pregnant. Don't. You can learn the hard way on that, guys, so don't ever do that, so. Now, we're, we're in the midst of this. Actually, actually, this is the end of our series, Summer in the Psalms, and we haven't gotten very far in the Psalms. There's so many great Psalms. I know many of you have been reading through them, and I've heard uh, different comments about how you've just enjoyed over the past several months your own personal reading time in the Psalms. And so uh, there's just so many good ones. We may have to do, like next year, another summer in the Psalms. We're going we're gonna to wrap things up this morning. And uh, I heard a story not long ago about these, these two explorers who were uh, in the middle of the African bush, and they're, they're kind of trotting along when all of a sudden they come face to face with this ferocious lion. And of course, both of them freeze, scared to death. They're looking at the lion. The lion's looking at them and not knowing exactly what to do. One of the explorers leans over to his buddy and he whispers, whatever you do, don't run. He says, I, I, I read in this book that you cannot outrun a lion. And so just stay, stay calm and don't let, them know, don't let him know you're afraid. Animals can smell fear. And so if you stand perfectly still, show no fear, look the lion in the eye, the lion will run away. Well, upon hearing this, the second guy thinks about it for a second, and he leans over to his buddy and he says, okay, you do that. He said, I read in a book that lions always pick out the weakest and the slowest in the herd, and while I may not be faster than the lion, I'm pretty sure I'm faster than you. And so 
Uh, so anyway, we're, gonna, we're jumping into this series this morning, and we're not, the, the topic for today is not bad jokes, all right? So uh, we're, we're going to be talking about fear this morning. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that's a topic that none of us are familiar with, right? None of us ever have been afraid in our lives. None of us ever deals with any kind of fear in our lives. You know, maybe when we were kids, maybe back then, but now that we're adults, no fear, right? Okay, actually, that was a test. We're actually going to be talking about lying today. So, no, no. The, the, the reality, <laughs> yeah, thank you. I needed you on the drums, Dane. Uh, the reality is that fear is something that no matter how old we get, we still have to deal with it from time to time. It's, it's, you know, it's as much of an adult battle as it is at any other stage of our lives. And I think the only thing that changes is what we're afraid of. You know, when we're kids, it may be the boogeyman, and we're not afraid of the boogeyman anymore. Now, now you know, we're afraid of the tax man, things like that. But we still have to deal with this issue of fear. And, you know, it, it, fear is such a prevalent thing in our culture. It's one of those hidden things, but it's a prevalent thing, and it, it's the reason why pharmaceutical companies make a boatload of money off of drugs like Xanax and Valium and Zoloft and on and on the list of drugs that they created to deal with fear and anxiety and those types of things. And, and it's the reason why that counselors' offices and hospitals are full of people who, who some of them have become so paralyzed and whose lives have become deeply hindered and some of them even sidelined because of anxiety and fear. And even those of us who have managed to stay functional, we still, at times, wrestle with fear that comes from a, a myriad of sources. And so what I thought we would do this morning is I, I thought I might need some help on this topic. And so in order to help us understand the issue of fear a little better, I, I had to pull a few strings, but I was able to line up a panel of what many would consider some of the foremost experts when it comes to the topic of fear. And I'll tell you right up front that these guys, you know, they have such busy schedules and so many demands on their time that I wanted to get them here on a Sunday morning. It just didn't work out. And so we had to do what often you have to do when you're dealing with experts. I mean, just between you and me, sometimes some experts can be kind of prima donnas. And so they have their own schedule. You have to work with their schedule. So we worked with a schedule that was more conducive to them. And we got together earlier in the week and we just did this little discussion and we videoed it. And so I, wanna, I want you to watch this. I think what do you do? 
All right, so those are our experts. Uh, give it up for our experts. They're not here, but maybe some of their parents are. So, um, so, so what we learned was the bottom line is if you want to defeat fear, carry a knife. I don't know if you heard that answer from Braden. Carry a knife with you or learn karate. So those are their two. And really, those are some things that people who are adults you know, tend to, to gravitate for, towards. But, uh, but, but let, me, let me ask you this, okay? All kidding aside. What are some things that you personally tend to be afraid of? In other words, what is it that produces fear in your own life? I want you to just think about that for a moment. This past week, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't ever ask you guys to do anything I'm not willing to do. And so I, I contemplated that question in my own life. And uh, I'm sure I can't name everything I'm afraid of uh, or tend to be afraid of or attempted to be afraid of. But, but here are a few things that, that came to my mind as I sat and just contemplated that question. What are the things that I am tempted to be afraid of? And these are not in any particular order, 
But first of all, many of you know this already. I've talked about it before. I'm, I'm scared to death of snakes, you know? And I told the story. Many of you remember the story. I ran away from a dead snake one time. Uh, and and uh, just to give you an idea of the depth of my fear, uh, about a month ago, we went and visited our daughter who lives in Kearney, and this was not long after they'd had those horrible rains and, and the floods had come, and Kearney was just uh, flooded um, a b- good portion of the city. And uh, the good news was that her house was on high ground, so she was safe from the floods, and so that was good. But the bad news is that apparently trying to avoid the rising waters, all these snakes went to high ground. And so she's on high ground, and the snakes come, and she had this infestation of snakes in her yard. And uh, on either side of her porch, as you walk up to her house, she has, you know, bushes and shrubs and flowers and all this kind of stuff on either side of her porch. And she said that they were, like, all in there. And so we came a couple of weeks after the flood, and uh, I was trying my best to be brave. And I, you know, I just watched an episode of that guy who's a python hunter. I don't know if any of you have seen this guy right here. You know, and this is a guy, he like in Florida, he goes out and he, he wrestles these 17-foot Burmese pythons. And so I had just watched that. And so I figured, you know, if he can wrestle a 17-foot python, then I can handle a bull snake. Nope. Man, <laughs> I got down there and, and I was, you know, I was kind of digging around. And what I mean by digging around was I was like moving a leaf here and a leaf here, you know, ready to run. And uh, all of a sudden, I saw this snake skin <clears throat> about this long. Um, and I was done, man. I hate snakes. So I was like, you're on your own. Hopefully the water will recede and they'll go away. But good luck with that. And so I'm, I'm definitely afraid of snakes. Another thing that I'm afraid of, and I'm, I kind of I hate to admit this one, because uh, every time we talk about it, I feel like I have to check in my man card, but I'm, I'm also deathly afraid of mice. And uh, in fact, not long ago, Laura and I were in the kitchen of our house. This was, this was when we were still living in the parsonage, so you're welcome, Carly. Um, <laughs> You have a dog, so I think that might help with that. But, uh, you know, with all the grass and the field and the big lot and everything, we, we, there was a period of time where they, they found their way in, a couple of them anyway. And so I was, I was uh, Laura and I were in the kitchen of our house, and I was doing dishes because I'm awesome like that. And uh, Laura was standing there. I don't know what she was doing. She was talking to me. Uh, she had been out working and making money, and I was home doing dishes. So anyway, uh, we, we were there, and we were talking, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this little something scurry across the floor, you know? And immediately when I saw that thing, I grabbed Laura and I threw her behind me to protect her. <laughs> no, that's not, ha- Laura says that's not what happened. I did grab her, but I threw her in front of me like a shield. <laughs> Don't judge me. I mean, she grew up on a farm and she loves animals and I thought, here, you can have a better view because she loves animals. <laughs> and so I was just thinking of her. But I, but I, I have, you know, I, I, I have some fears, and those are the fears I have of animals. Those are pretty much the only animals I'm afraid of, um, unless you count spiders and alligators and bats and pretty much anything that can kill you and eat you. Other than that, we're good. Um, but, but, but there are some more serious things that sometimes I'm tempted to be afraid of. Sometimes um, I'm afraid that people won't like me. Probably none of you ever wrestle with that one. Sometimes I'm afraid that people won't like me. Sometimes 
Even when I'm up here and I'm talking, I'm afraid that I'll say something wrong or stupid and people won't like me. And uh, thankfully, Laura tells me, get past that. You always say something stupid and people like you. So sometimes, sometimes I wrestle with the fear that I won't be a good enough father or husband. Sometimes I'm afraid that my kids will never make that decision to walk with the Lord. Sometimes um, I'm afraid of, of, not sometimes, I, I, I hate confrontation. I'm, I fear confrontation. You know, last week we talked about fight or flight. I'm the flight guy, and uh, I'll do it. In fact, one of the pastors that I came up under, we shared the same struggle, and he passed on some wisdom to me. He said, I, I hate confrontation, but I've learned to always put the good of the church ahead of my own personal level of comfort. And so even though I'm afraid of it and I don't like it, I deal with it. But I, I fear confrontation, difficult talks. Sometimes I fear that maybe I won't always practice what I preach. You know, I talked last week, I, it's important to me to be authentic and vulnerable. And sometimes I fear that I won't practice what I preach. Sometimes I fear not making enough money to provide for my family. Other times I fear making too much money, that it might cause a stumbling block for people or come, become a stumbling block for me spiritually. Sometimes I fear not being prepared for retirement. Come on. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I fear not being smart enough to answer biblical questions that I ought to be able to answer. You know, sometimes when people come to me and say, Pastor, I have a question, and, they, and I was like, man, I hope I know the answer to this. Sometimes... Um, I fear not being a capable enough leader to lead this congregation into continued growth. Sometimes I'm tempted to, to, to fear that I'm not a skilled enough counselor to help people get through their stuff. I, I fear sometimes of not being a competent enough manager to deal with all the business and personnel issues of the church. I fear sometimes of not being a good enough fundraiser to help generate the finances we need for staff and buildings and programs. And, Sometimes, sometimes I fear not having a big enough kingdom assignment to feel like my life is significant. Other times I fear like maybe I've got too much of a kingdom assignment that is beyond my level of competency. Sometimes I feel failure, a failure, <laughs> the fear of failure. And then sometimes there's even the fear of success, you know, the Peter principle, being promoted beyond my level of competence. I think, I think the thing that I tend to fear the most, though, is that somehow I'll let God down. Sometimes I fear that. And, and those, you know, those are just a few things on my list. I'm sure your list is much shorter than mine because you're not near as neurotic as I am. And, you know, especially after last week, I divulged a bunch of the things that I tend to fret about. I know some of you are wondering, you know, what kind of a neurotic psychopath your pastor is, or at least some of you are hoping, you know, I, I hope on your time out. You, you seek some counseling, you know? And so, um, but, but those are just some of the fears that tend to creep in and tempt me to be afraid. And so I want to I wanna ask you again to think about what are those things that might be on your list? What, what are the things that you are prone to be afraid of? Maybe for some of you, your fears center around feelings of inadequacy. Maybe they're feelings of failure or rejection or abandonment, whatever it is. Whatever happens to be on your list, I want to give you some good news this morning, okay? Because we came for good news. The gospel is good news. And here's the good news this morning. 
And that is regardless of what your fear is. A few minutes ago, the passage of Scripture that Brett read for us gives us the antidote for fear. Whatever your fear is, we've been given an antidote. And again, we talked about this last week. This is, a, this is a psalm of David. This is another psalm of David. And we talked about this last week. Just like David had every reason in the world to be overwhelmed and to fret, he also had every reason to be afraid. This is one of the things that I love about Scripture, is that, you know, if, if I were writing the Bible, this is one of the ways that we know it's true, by the way, but if I were writing the Bible, I would paint all of its characters, all of the heroes in the best light as possible. But the reality is, is that as Scripture is written, it's written about human beings that were just like us, and they're trying to discover what it looks like to live in relationship with the living God. And so David, as a real human being, he had every reason to be afraid. I mean, if you know his story, just think about it. First of all, the Bible tells us that when he's just a young boy, he's tending his father's sheep, and Scripture tells us that in order to protect the sheep, he has to defend them against, first of all, a lion and then a bear. Not quite as scary as mice and snakes, but still, all right? So, so he, he has to defend them. And, and then, of course, we know that as a young teenager, maybe 15, 16 years of age, he goes and he has to face this giant Goliath, this trained, experienced warrior who scholars tells us, tell us are, is over nine feet tall. Well, come on, that's, that's an opportunity for fear, don't you think? And then we talked about this last week, but David lived a number of years running from King Saul, hiding in the desert as King Saul and his entire army are trying to kill David. And so David has plenty of opportunities to allow fear to come in and take over. And, and what I want you to know this morning, that even though in many ways David lived in a completely different world than we live in, you know, the time, the place, the society, the culture, his position in life, whether um, on the run as a refugee or as a person of wealth and power and influence, even though his life was totally different than ours, the things that he had to fear were not that much different than the things that we tend to fear. You know, things like personal harm, rejection, abandonment, the future. And so if, if at their root, the things that David battled against are not much different than what we battle against as it pertains to fear, then maybe his antidote is sufficient for us as well. I believe that it is. And so what is his antidote? I, I just want to read to you again a portion of this scripture, what he says, and we'll get to the antidote. Verse 2. David says, when evil men advance against me, when my enemies and my foes attack me, though an army besiege me, though war break out against me, he says, my heart will not fear. He goes on to say, even then will I be confident. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment before we get to the antidote. I want you to understand this. David makes it very clear that the confidence that he has, his antidote to fear, is not based upon anything that he possesses within himself. His confidence is not his brilliant mind or his brute strength or, or, or his own uh, personal charisma. 
It, it wasn't in his own deep bank account. No, where, where David found his security and his strength and his confidence was in one thing and one thing alone. And, it, and that was in his intimate relationship with the Lord. And so he sings this song. He says, why am I so confident? Why am I not afraid? It's simple. He says, because the Lord is my light. Now, the original word that David uses here for light is the same word that in other places is translated as lantern. Sometimes it's translated as the sun or the moon, something that gives off this great uh, light. It illuminates things. Earlier, when our panel of experts were on the video, uh, they, they said, hey, if you're afraid of the dark, the best solution is just turn on the light. <laughs> you know, if you're afraid of the dark, then just shine some light onto it. And so I, I love that because apparently even these kids understood what David understood, and that is that darkness cannot exist where there is light. That, that's a good thing. Darkness cannot exist where there is light. And so if you're afraid of the dark, and when we talk about the dark, you know, the unknown, the things that we can't see, so many of us have fear of what's going to take place tomorrow or in the future, the things that we don't know. If you're afraid of the dark, the answer is simple. Just turn on the light. Darkness has to flee. Fear has to flee when light enters into the picture. And so David says, the Lord is my light. This concept of light is something that is a theme all throughout the Bible. In fact, in, in John chapter 1, John says these very famous words. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to say, in Him, in the Word, in Christ was life, and that life was the light. In John 8, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have eternal life. In John 12, Jesus says, I've come into the world as a light, so whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. In 1 John, it says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then right before Jesus ascends up into heaven after the crucifixion and the resurrection, he turns to his disciples and says, you have seen the light. And you have believed in the light, and now you have become sons of the light. And so this is so powerful. I don't want you to miss this this morning. David is saying, I have attached myself to the light. And if you attach yourself to the light, or better yet, if the light lives in you, then why would you ever be afraid? That there's no cause to be afraid. I mean, if the light is in me, and if the light takes out fear of the darkness where things are unknown and uncertain, he says, I've attached myself to that light, and so I have no reason to be afraid. Amen, Doug. That's good preaching right there. We have no reason to be afraid if we have attached ourselves to the light. And then he says, the Lord is not only my light, but he's also my salvation. That word salvation, as David uses it here, is a word that means rescue or deliverance. And so when David says, you're my salvation, you're my rescuer, you're my deliverer, the imagery that he's giving here is of someone who is drowning. 
And all hope is gone. There's no way of self-rescue. And just when it looks like I'm going to go under, suddenly I'm tossed a life ring. In other words, David says, why do I need to be afraid? I mean, yeah, I know all of the stuff that's taking place around me, and I know how scary it can be, but, but I have no reason to fear because I have someone, <coughs> excuse me, I have someone who rescues me and shelters me even in the midst of life's storms. This is not all. David, David goes on. He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. That word, that word stronghold is a word that, that means anchor. In, in other words, David says, the Lord is my anchor. He's my stronghold. He holds me secure, even though everything around me is falling apart. It doesn't matter what's happening around me. It doesn't matter that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It doesn't matter what the economy is. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. The Lord is my stronghold. He is my anchor, and he will hold me in place. So why do I need to be afraid? I don't know how many of you remember the show Fear Factor. It was on, I don't even know if it's on anymore. I know it was on a number of years ago. Um, but, but Fear Factor was this show, if you remember it, where there, a bunch of guys and, and gals would come together and they would muster up as much um, bravado as they could in order to do scary things like um, eat bugs or lay in a plexiglass box full of snakes or mice um, or you know, go up on high heights and have to balance across things and things like that. Well, well guess what? That may have been great viewing for a television show, but what I've come to understand just after my own lifetime of, of following Jesus personally, but also um, you know, in the midst of all that, knowing what it is to face insurmountable circumstances that would cause the knees of even the stoutest of hearts to tremble. I've experienced that in my own life, but also after literally walking with hundreds of other folks through some of the most frightening, difficult things that life can throw at you, here is what I've learned. It doesn't matter how much personal bravado a person shows on the outside. It's always the internal fears that eventually cause the implosions in our lives. It's the internal fear factor that winds up stealing the joy factor and, and undercuts our ability to give and receive love and experience intimacy in our relationship with God and in our relationship with other people. And, and so there's a reason why in Scripture over and over and over again we're commanded, fear not. The, the, the reason why that, that command shows up more than any other command in the Bible, it shows up 365 times in the Bible. Somebody said it shows up one for every day of the year. Fear not more than any other command, more than the command to love, more than the command to serve. The reason why is because the writers of Scripture knew what a temptation it would be for all of us to fall into the trap of fear, but they also knew the effects of fear what it does to our lives, how it paralyzes us. You see, fear and love cannot exist at the same time. And according to this beautiful Psalm of David, there is one antidote to fear, one thing that protects us and keeps us from being paralyzed from fear. I want you to listen to what he says. 
He says, this one thing I ask of the Lord. In other words, if, if there's only one thing that I could, if I was presented before the Lord and I had audience with him and they said, you could ask one thing, one thing, what would it be? Solomon was given that opportunity and his choice was wisdom, right? David was given that opportunity first and he said, the one thing I would ask of the Lord, this is what I would seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. In other words, what he's asking is, I, I want to, if there's one thing I could seek, one thing I could ask, and that, that would be to live with the firsthand experience of residing in the presence of the Lord. One thing that I want more than anything else is I want to be in his presence continually, just to dwell in his presence, to have his presence never leave me. He says, I want to I dwell in the presence or the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. You, you see, what David is trying to help us understand this morning is that the only true antidote to fear is a dynamic, experiential, personal, intimate relationship with the living God. That is the only antidote to fear. You see, it's only in the scope of that kind of relationship do we discover the extent of God's power and the depth of his love, which scripture tells us that his love, perfect love, casts out all fear. It's in that relationship that we experience the dimensions of that love, and it deflates our insecurity. It's in that relationship that we discover that we don't have to survive, we, we don't have to be in control, and it dissipates our anxiety. Friends, I'm, I'm telling you, the antidote to fear can only be found through intimacy with God. L -l -l Listen to these words. He says, for in the day of trouble, <laughs> we talk about this all the time, you know, one of the great promises in Scripture is that in this world, you will have trouble. We had one amen for that. <laughs> we don't like to amen that. It's the reality that part of the human condition is that we all face trouble in our lives. And, and David says, for in the day of trouble, not if, but when, he says, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. David says it's in this secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. So regardless of what's going around me, because I'm in the presence of God, he will protect me. He will surround me. He will set me on his rock. He will lift me up above everything that is taking place around me. And he says, and then I will offer his, in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, I will sing praises to the Lord. One of the reasons that when we gather together, Brian and I were talking about this here not long ago, that we, the, the church is one of those unique places. Very few places do you go where there's a gathering of people where one of the things you do is you stand up and sing together. Well, one of the reasons that we do this is because we're doing what David was accustomed to doing. We know that God's activity is in our lives, and we just want to pause for a moment, and singing is such an emotional thing. It's one of the ways that we thank him and give praise to him for what he's doing in our lives. And this is what David is doing. He's saying, I will sing. I will sing praises to the Lord. We, we don't gather together just to go through the motions and, okay, we got to sing three songs and then we're going to take the offering, then we're going to get to the sermon and then we're going to go eat lunch together and hopefully beat the Baptist to the buffet. 
We, we, we gather together to give thanks to the Lord who is at work in our lives, who has protected us and sustained us and walked with us many times through things that we were not even aware of. And so David says, this is the place I have to stay, in his presence to experience this. And so the question is, how do we stay in that place? So when trouble comes, we don't succumb to fear, but instead we're safe and secure. How do we, how do we stay in this place of intimacy with the one who casts out all fear? What are we supposed to do? Davis, David gives us three keys, and I'm going to give them to you really quick, and then we're going to be done. First of all, he says, seek the Lord with all of your might. In verse 8, he says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, yes. <laughs> my heart said, your face I will seek. If we want to stay in intimacy with the Lord, it is a relationship of continually seeking his face day by day, moment by moment. I will seek his face. Secondly, David says, follow him with all of your heart. In verse 11, he says, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path. I, I, I need you to teach me your way, not just so I can have more knowledge. I need you to teach me your way so I can follow you and obey you. David's desire was not just to know more about God. His desire was to know him. And then number three, here's the hardest part of all. You know, you're seeking him with all your strength. You're following him with all of your heart. And lastly, David tells us, be patient and wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord, he says in verse 14. Wait for the Lord and be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I don't know about you, but I hate to wait. Waiting is hard. I, I, I hate waiting. But, but as hard as waiting is, here, here's what I have come to learn. I have learned that it is in the waiting that things happen in our lives spiritually that can happen in no other way. I've learned that, that it's in the waiting that our faith muscles are stretched and grown. You know, you know, it's easy to have faith when we pray for something and immediately it happens. It's much harder to have faith when we prayed for something and 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 we haven't seen the results yet. Many of you know what I'm talking about. I, I heard somebody share not long ago the fact that in, 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 uh, as it pertains to healing, the fact that sometimes we get discouraged because we, we've had an ailment or something and we've, we've prayed, we've been in services, we've asked God to heal it and he hasn't healed it yet. And then this person comes forward and they're healed in an instant. And one of the things he said is he said, you don't know how many times that person has prayed and asked and come before the Lord in order to have it for an instant. The amazing thing about God is that he can take what it, what it seems like a lifetime for us, and after a lifetime, he can change it in a moment in time. And so we continue to wait before the Lord, and it's in that waiting that our faith muscles are stretched. It's in the waiting that the practice of prayer is meant to be developed and deepened. I love this. I love the imagery of, you know, it says, wait before the Lord. Oftentimes... The image that we have is, okay, I'm going to wait before the Lord. 
I'm waiting before the Lord. He says, wait before the Lord. What if waiting before the Lord is, I'm going to serve the Lord. (laughs) I'm going to wait on the Lord. How do I do that? How do I serve the Lord? How do I minister unto the Lord? It's through prayer. It's through the spiritual disciplines of fasting and silence and scripture reading. I'm going to wait on the Lord, but I'm not waiting like this. I'm waiting as I'm serving him and trusting in him and looking to him. It's in this process of waiting that prayer and other spiritual disciplines are meant to be developed and deepened. It's in the, <coughs> it's in the desperation of waiting that oftentimes we slow down enough to develop the discipline of listening to what God wants to say to us. How often do we do that? And it's, it's in the waiting that so often the character of Christ is more deeply developed within us. <laughs> it, it's, in, it's in the waiting that the character of Christ is, is fuller and deeper and more developed within us. And so David says, <clears throat> you want to beat fear? Do this. Seek the Lord with all your might. Follow the Lord with all of your heart and then wait upon the Lord. Get into his presence. Park yourself in his presence because in his presence is perfect love and perfect love casts out all fear. Love always conquers fear. Man, I don't know about you, but that's where I want to live. You know, I, I, I can't control the circumstances that happen around me. I can't control what other people do. I can't control what the government does. I can't control what the financial world does. I, I can't ultimately, I ultimately can't even control a lot of things that happen to me physically in my own health. But one thing I can do is I can make the intentional choice to wait upon the Lord to dwell within his presence, surrounded by his love, protected. Excuse me. Protected from fear. Sometimes the enemy doesn't want this stuff to get out. Come on. We live in that world, right? <clears throat> this is a battle. I shared last week that some of the weariness that comes for those who are in ministry is people, not everybody understands this, that we're, we're contending. We're contending. This is, this, this is more than what, what's taking place in this room right now <clears throat> is more than just a talking head up here throwing out some words. There's a battle that takes place in the heavenlies. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so I don't know this morning, you know, it's interesting at this point in time, but I, I I don't know if you're here this morning and maybe you've, you've never made that move to invite Christ the conqueror of all things, including fear. 
You've never invited Christ to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader and director of your life. If that's you this morning, I believe with all my heart the reason you're here this morning is because God wants to give you that opportunity. That's why we're here. This is why we exist. He wants to give you that opportunity to make that decision right now. And so here's what I want to do as we wrap things up. I want to invite everybody in this place to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just, just in the quietness of your own heart, if this morning, if the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart and saying, you know what, I, I love you. And I brought you here this morning because I want to have this kind of relationship that that guy's talking about. I, I want to I I give you the kind of relationship where you don't have to go through life and face your battles alone, but you've got somebody bigger and stronger and much wiser who will fight them for you. And I've made a way to do that through the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never invited Jesus to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your lives. I want to give you that opportunity right now. Just in the quietness of your own heart as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I want to invite you to just pray this prayer with me. Just pray in in your heart. Just pray, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you. I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting these battles alone, and I know it's not working, and I, I know that I need you. So right now, I give my life to you. I, I give all that I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I ask you, would you please forgive me of my sin, and would you fill me with your presence, and then would you teach me how to follow you? I give myself to you today. I invite you in, and I ask that you would be the leader of my life. And then for those of you right now who maybe you're in a season of your life where you're battling what we've been talking about this morning, fear, the, maybe it's the fear of loneliness or financial fear or health-related fear or the fear of failure, fear of the future. If that's you, I'm going I'm to ask you to do something really bold this morning. If you're at this place where you're battling fear, I'm going to ask you just to stand up. If I were down there, I would be standing up. But I want to invite you to stand up. I'm going to pray over you. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I just want to say this prayer for anybody who's standing here this morning. If you tend to battle fear in any way, thank you for modeling vulnerability. We want to be a church that's vulnerable. And right now, under the authority of Jesus Christ, I command fear to leave. In the name of Jesus, I command fear to leave. You have no place here. You have no right here. In the presence of Jesus is perfect love. And that is where we want to live. And so, Jesus, my prayer this morning for each and every one who's standing in this place and for all who are watching online and who are battling fear in some way, I pray that you would fill us from the bottom of our feet to the tops of our heads. 
Fill us with your presence and fill us with your love. In fact, make us so full of you that there is no room for anything else in our lives. There's no room for any kind of fear to creep in. And for every circumstance, every, everything in life that we face that might want to open the door to fear, I pray this morning that you would help us to remember to whom we belong. We say this this morning. You are our light and our salvation. You are our rock and our fortress. So what do we have to be afraid of? We give ourselves to you this morning. We trust you. We trust you today. And we believe that you will do what you have promised to do, that you will work all things out for our good. And so we're going to hold on to you this morning, and we're going to hold you to your word. As we stand in your love, we stand here free of fear, and we stand in your love this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.